Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. We've been in a series called A Winning Game Plan. Now, the reason for that series is because we believe that this year is a year of breakthrough. And what I mean by that is that I think God has so much more for us. And I think this is the year that God wants to break through, if you will, our traditional, if you will, maybe conditional thinking and help us see a realm that is totally beyond anything we can imagine, but the realm that God wants us to live in and be in. And I believe that's this year. And so we're in this thing talking about what does it mean to have a winning game plan? What does it mean to understand in football languages the right X and O's to make sure you get the job done and you win the game? And so two weeks ago, Pastor Reed, who I thought did a masterful job, he talked about God's system. Now, I want you to listen to this very carefully. God's system to building his kingdom, not the church. Now, I want to say it again because I don't want that misunderstood. He talked about God's system out of Ephesians 4 of how to build his kingdom, not the church. I'm done building a church. I don't want to build a church. I want to build a kingdom. And that's a different mindset because, see, if I, after all my years of living, was to define to you what I think that America looks at what it means to build a church, is that we're no different than the world. We're consumers. That's what we've become. I've been here 21 years, and I've witnessed it, seen it, all the years being in the church. More and more people come as followers of God, and instead of surrendering who they are, which that's truly what salvation is, they come with a consumer mindset. And so they come to church to see what they get, and it, when they cease to get what they want, they just pick up and go somewhere else. And that's not biblical. That's not God's idea of what it means to be a part of his church. And the reason why I say that is because I think so few people, they see the church, but they don't understand the kingdom. I don't want to build a church. And so Reed did an amazing job walking through what does it mean to be a part of his kingdom? That it's no longer about you. It's not about what you get. It's about being, if you will, an open vessel by which the living water can pour through and our lives are to be poured over into the lives of others. It's the kingdom work. My job as a pastor is to equip you. That's my job is to equip you and for you to go out and do the work of the ministry because there's no greater thing than that and that's exactly what God wants us to do. Then last week, Pastor Timothy who again, I thought did a masterful job, talked about within God's system to build the kingdom, you matter. And so he talked about what is God's system for your life. And he looked at three rings on a chain, chain links, if you will. Each chain link being very important when it comes to your life. What does it mean to really yield of yourself and be obedient to God's word and then to live that out in your life in love in other people's lives. Now, I want to say this because I don't want you to miss it. Each link in the chain is very important, and you and I are only as good as our weakest link. My effectiveness 
is dependent upon you. That's why the Bible said, the eye can't say the foot, I don't need you. And that's the problem in our world today is because I don't think we understand how important each one of these chain links are in our lives. We want to fudge on them, as Pastor Timothy talked about, and I think sometimes we're plastic. And we all know that in weather like this, in this time of year, if someone's stuck in a ditch and you pull out a chain and one of the links is plastic, you all know that chain's going to break. But so much greater, we're not pulling cars out of ditches, we're pulling lives out of ditches. We don't have time for plastic. And that's why you need to hear that message again and take it very, very serious because we're only as good as our weakest link. I don't say this to be funny, but if you're out going to church, but then during the week you're flipping people off and living a different life, that's as effective as I'm going to be in my ministry. Because when a people attach you to this church, that hinders the incredible work that God wants to do. You matter. Your three links are as valuable and vital as everybody else's. And we need to learn that, church. Well, what I want to do for the next couple weeks is I want to look at just a couple attitudes or maybe things we need to take a look at that are very significant in how we live out our lives. We're going to talk about laughter. We're going to do that next week because I need to have Pastor uh, Reed on stage with me when we do that because he's one of the funnest guys to be around. Isn't that true? I love that guy. And so we, we, we couldn't do it if we couldn't do it together. It's just one of those things. So we, we've spent time already writing this message. I'm very excited about it. So we're going to talk about laughter because there's not enough. There's way too much of what I always say, constipated living in our world. And there's some people of God who need a godly enema, okay? And, and, and they need to lighten up just a little bit. But I want to talk about something that I think is incredibly, if you will, overlooked. I've preached a message over and over on this. And yet it's as if no one even listens. And so if you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to Jeremiah chapter 2. Now, when you go there, I'm going to caution you. Because in a moment, I'm going to read it from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Now, the problem with that is, is even though I think it's very accurate to what the prophet was speaking, it doesn't follow other translations very clearly. And it can be a little frustrating, and I don't want you to go away going, man, I didn't get it. So it might be one of those things when you get home, you read it later in Jeremiah 2, but I'm going to read it from Eugene Peterson's message in a moment. But I want to ask a question. How many have ever heard of, and I just want to show of hands, don't shout the name, how many here have heard of Million Dollar Bill? I'm not talking about Bill Gates, okay? Isn't that interesting? Some like to call him Awesome Bill from Dawsonville. Does that help? I'm talking about the legend of NASCAR, Bill Elliott. You see, you need to understand the story. 1987 is the year, and he set the fastest single qualifying lap in history at Talladega. In the backstretch, he reached speeds of 212.809 miles per hour. Everybody look up here. That's fast, okay? It's extremely fast. But he wasn't the only one. That was in a qualifying round. But in the race that year, 
drivers were having difficulty keeping their car on the track. Something happened as they were building their engines and cars actually began to lift, literally lift up from the track. And it was wreaking havoc on the race. In response to that race, NASCAR implemented what is known today as the restrictor plate, a device that limits the power output of their engines, therefore slowing the acceleration and their overall speed. Now, let me fast forward a little bit. The year is 2004. Another legend, Rusty Wallace, happened to wonder with all of our technology what if I actually test drove a car without the restrictor plate? He went back to the same track, Talladega, and in the back stretch, reached top speeds of 228 miles per hour. On one particular lap, he averaged 221 miles per hour. Again, that's fast. That'd be like leaving Sioux Falls and getting to Rapid City in less than an hour. That would be crazy wild. But I want you to listen to this. This is NASCAR's best. These are Hall of Famers. These are legends. And I want you to listen to what Rusty Wallace said of that day. In my experience, and I quote, I was out of control. And then he added, and I quote, there is no way that we could race at these speeds. Now that's NASCAR's best. We were out of control. I do this for a living, and there's no way we could race at those speeds. And I know I'm not here to argue. This would be an entirely different message, but this saddens me because I've done a lot of research on this. And what saddens me today is that some of the younger drivers think they can, and the people in the stands want them to. And over half the ones in the stands only want them to because they want to see the wrecks rather than their car win the race. And there's something really horrifying in my heart about that thinking. That I would want to pay to watch someone else maybe die or suffer. But that's an entirely different message. But here's what I fear. I fear that we somehow think that even though what Rusty Wallace declared, we're out of control, we, can, we as the best couldn't race at those speeds. You and I think we can when it comes to life. We think that somehow we can challenge what God created without a restrictor plate. It's interesting. In fact, in today's world, it's considered a badge of honor. Did you know that? According to sociologist and economist Thorsten Vedlam, work, not leisure, is now today's status symbol. In all our studies, he writes, time availability or the lack of it has actually become our new measure of one's status. That's just crazy. But I've talked with so many people and they don't say it with an exhausting look on their face. They say with a sense of pride, would you like to go to the game? No, pastor, I'm really busy. You see, I got so much to do. Things I got to get done. Love to. Thanks for the invitation. Let me pause there for a moment. And I just want to ask and for a moment of ownership, 
How many here would agree that hurry business and being overbooked is a problem in our world today? Okay, let me get a little more personal. How many here would admit, I probably need to hear this message? I appreciate that. Because owning something is the biggest step toward healing. Did you know that? It's being honest at where you're at. See, I think we've become, as the Red Queen said to Alice in Alice of Wonderland, now here, see, she says to Alice, it's going to take all the running you can just to stay in the same place. But if you want to get somewhere, Alice, then you must run twice as fast as you do now. And we have. Did you know that studies tell us that we sleep two and a half hours less each night than we did 100 years ago? And the same studies will tell us the sleep we're getting isn't enough. It's not enough. In fact, according to American cardiologist Meyer Friedman, we've now come to worship speed. In fact, Domino's Pizza grabbed the biggest market share when they realized that's what Americans wanted, speed. Delivery in 30 minutes or less. Listen to what their CEO states. We don't sell great pizza anymore. We sell great speed because that's what people want. And their shares shot through the roof. It blows my mind. You order pizza for something to eat, but what you really want is it there quickly. We're trying to microwave everything, aren't we? Listen to this very carefully. In my opinion, being busy isn't a badge of honor. It's the sign that we're broken. We're broken. And we don't even know it. We're unbelievably broken. Listen to this very carefully. In a recent survey in the last six months, people were asked, Christians were asked, what is keeping you from knowing and growing spiritually? And I want to quote one of the people that cited back in. I don't have time. I'm in too much of a hurry to get to know God. And I would be careful before you might go, I can't believe someone would say that. Let me tell you what's more tragic. Maybe you don't say it, but you live it. Like this last week. Did you spend time in God's word every day? You're too busy. I just have to be honest, because you know what you said to God? I don't have time to be with you what I have in my plate is more important. And there's nothing on your plate that's more important. What are you running to? What do you think that's so, so vital that you have to have your time wrapped all over it? See, I think we need to talk about what it means to actually slow down. <laughs> What it actually means to walk in the pace of God because he isn't running to anything. It will change you. And I think we need to talk about it. I want to read from Jeremiah, but before I do, I want you to flip your notes over real quickly. And I want to give you six things, and I mean they're going to come quick, and they'll be on the screen. You can write them down, but you'll need to write quickly. But I want to give you, if you will, what a hurried life does. But to set it up, I want to go back to which we all have heard from 1967. 
It's when the experts of time management delivered a report to the U.S. Senate. Now watch this. These are the experts in time management, 1967. And they deliver a report to the leaders of our nation. And here's what they said. They came to believe that the speed of technology, the speed of satellites, and the speed of robotics would present a big problem for Americans in the workplace. Does anybody know what the problem was? They're going to have way too much time. I want to quote from the report. By 1985, people might have to choose between working 22 hours a week, 27 weeks a year, and retiring at the age of 38. We missed it. That didn't happen. 50 years later, we're moving faster than ever, more obsessed with being busy and getting things done, and we're out of control. Because we're not meant to race at those speeds. I'm going to give you God's restrictor plate in a moment, but let me give these very quickly because there's a cost to a hurried life, and these are absolutes. Here's the first one. In a hurried life, destroys your relationship with God. It doesn't hinder it. It doesn't harm it. It destroys your relationship with God because intimacy with God requires stillness, attentiveness, and silence. Three things we don't like. To have an intimate relationship with God requires stillness, attentiveness, and silence. You have to get off your freeway of living if you want to grow with God. Folks, frequently meeting with God isn't going to work. Solitude requires stillness. The Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. Be still and I'll show you I'm God. Be still and let me be your God. A hurried life destroys that relationship. Number two, a hurried life decreases your capacity to love. A hurried life decreases your capacity to love. It's no coincidence that the great love passage, 1 Corinthians 13, begins with love is patient. That's not a coincidence. In Matthew Kelly's book, The Rhythm of Life, he says, and I love this quote, relationships can only thrive under carefree timelessness. I love those words, carefree timelessness. And this is something that hurried people don't have. They don't have true intimacy in relationships. They don't have true love. They forfeit it. The more you increase your speed in life, the less capacity you will have to love others. Here's number three. A hurried life increases the power of temptation. Did you know that? A hurried life increases the power of temptation. Sin always begins with an impulse, and impulses only happen in rash moments. By the way, with God, there's no such thing as instant gratification. And yet we've seen it. When you're in traffic and you're in a hurry, (laughs) How many times people come up and go, man, I know what I was thinking. You were thinking. You just weren't thinking wisely. You were thinking hurriedly. 
See, when you slow down, that begins to change everything. Why are you in such a hurry? Because I was late to an appointment. Why were you late to the appointment? Because I was doing some things that I need to get done. Why were you doing some things to get done? You just keep pulling back the layer. It's all about you. And that's not what Christ called us to be. If you want to sin less, then slow down more. Here's number four. A hurried life numbs you to sin around you. A hurried life numbs you to injustice. See, listen to this. When your life is moving fast, you don't have time to see the world around you. You walk by a total stranger. You'll miss a homeless person. You'll walk right by an angel and don't even know you had an opportunity to entertain it. Because you're in a hurry. You're just in a hurry. See, here's the question you need to ask yourself. If your heart doesn't break for the things that break God's heart, you're in a hurry. You need to slow down. Here's number five. A hurried life increases narrow-mindedness. A hurried life increases narrow-mindedness. See, the difference between knowledge and wisdom is the difference between speed and stillness. God wants you to grow in wisdom. Knowledge is useless without it being governed by wisdom. Now watch this. Wisdom and discernment require reflection, solitude, prayer, and Christ-centered community. If you have a wisdom, you have to just sit back and ponder things and reflect. You have to look at it from all angles. When you're in a hurry, you don't have time for that. And all of a sudden, you get more narrow-minded. You just do. I, I hear people come up and go, well, that's what you think. And I'm like, that's what the Bible says. Read it. Spend time in it. That's not my opinion. That's the truth. It'll set you free. I'll tell you this. You'll spend a lot less sharing your opinion. And you'll spend more time living and speaking truth when you're in it. Here's number six. A hurried life clouds your purpose and will diminish your passion. A hurried life will cloud your purpose and will diminish your passion. See, when you're in a hurry, it's all about what you do. When you take time with God, it's all about what you're becoming. See, a hurried life is all about doing. I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. And God's going, no, you don't, no, you don't, no, you don't. You become. And all of a sudden you realize why I am who I am and why I'm supposed to do what I do. So listen to the words of Carl Honors in his book, The Praise of Slowness. The time has come to challenge our obsession with doing everything more quickly. Speed is not always the best policy. And I would agree. Amen. So I'm going to give you quickly two things. Looking at Jeremiah's passage, I'm going to show you what the prophet says. And then we're going to look at two things that we need to do. And it's so simple and we can do them. But I want to read from the prophet Jeremiah what he says. And God is speaking. Beginning in chapter 2, verse 25, here's what he says from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Slow down. This is God. Slow down. Take a deep breath. What's the hurry? Why wear yourself out? Just what are you after anyway? But you say to me, I can't help it. I'm addicted to alien gods, and I appreciate the honest confession 
I can't quit. But I will say to them, just as a thief is caught, so the people of Israel are caught. They're caught along with their kings and their princesses, their priests and their prophets. In other words, they're just living like everybody else. They're supposed to be my people. You skip down a few verses, it says, but when things go bad, you don't hesitate to come running, calling out, get on the move, save us, God. But I will say to them, why not go to your handcrafted gods you're so fond of? Rouse them. Let them save you from your bad times. You see, you got more gods than you know what to do with. And then he skips down to verse 31. What a generation you turned out to be. What a generation you turned out to be. Didn't I tell you? Didn't I warn you? But my people forget me. Day after day after day, they never give me a thought. Those are powerful words. Slow down. Mac Davis years ago wrote a song called Stop and Smell the Roses. Hey, mister, where are you going in such a hurry? Don't you think it's time you realized there's a whole lot more to life than work and worry. All the sweetest things in life are free and they're right before your eyes. You got to stop and smell the roses. You've got to count your blessings every day. You're going to find your way to heaven is a rough and rocky road if you don't stop and smell the roses along the way. Before you went to work this morning in the city, did you spend some time with your family? Did you kiss your wife and tell her that she's pretty? Did you take your children to your breast and love them tenderly? Did you ever take a walk through the forest, stop and dream while among the trees? You can look up through the leaves right to heaven and you can almost hear the voice of God in every breeze. You got to stop and smell the roses. You got to count your blessings every day. You're going to find your way to heaven as a rough and rocky road if you don't stop and smell the roses along the way. And that's what I'm offering to you. Stop and smell the roses. Say that with me. Stop and smell the roses. Look at someone and say, stop and smell the roses. Church, we got to stop and smell the roses. And I'm going to give you two ways to do this. You ready for this? Here's the first one. Flip your notes back over and write this in. Here it is. Spend time. Daily time with the one who made the roses. Spend daily time with the one who made the roses. If you're going to stop and smell the roses, how about spend time with the creator of the roses? Can, can I give you a little secret? You will learn more about why you were created when you spend more time in his creation. Look, look what David wrote, Psalm 61 in fact, read it out loud with me, would you? I will praise your name continually, fulfilling my vow of praising you each day. Circle those words, fulfilling my vow. That is crazy amazing. I will praise your name continually, fulfilling my vow of praising you each 
day. Do you know what salvation is? A lot of people think they know. Let me tell you what it is. It's surrendering your will to God's. It's giving God your word. It's giving God your vow that you will follow him and quit trusting your ways. You will subscribe to what he wrote in the word and you will be obedient to it. That's what salvation is. It's just like marriage. You know, when you hold their hands and you say for better, for worse, but then sadly it gets worse and you go looking for something better. We do the same thing with God. I mean, I have couples come to me and they'll say, I, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't know my husband. And what I discover is, well, you spend no time with him. You used to when you were dating. I just don't understand my wife. Well, you don't spend any time with her. It's the same thing with God. I don't get God. Well, spend time with him because he's not Casper the ghost hiding. He, he, he loves to show you who he is. But it's very difficult for God to show you who he is if you don't spend any time with him. If you're going to smell the roses, you've got to stop and spend time with the one who made the rose. It's a beautiful thing. Think about it for a moment. What would matter more to God? You get things done you think need to be done or spend time with him. What do you think? I mean, you're never going to find God go, oh, no, no, Keith, no, 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 no. I'll catch up with you later. You got things to do, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm not doing much. I'm just taking care of the world. No big deal. You know, I mean, you got a lot of stuff. It's sad. I've said it before, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you figure out why. Two most important days in your life. I'm going to answer it for you because there's no accidents in the room. I don't care how you were conceived. You're a gift of God. And God knew exactly when you need to be born, how you are born, allowed it to be born, and he has a purpose for your life. And can I tell you what it is? The number one reason that I was born and the number one reason you were born is to have a relationship with God. For you to receive his love and for you to return that love. Number one. You know what number two is? There isn't any because everything flows out of that relationship. It's the number one reason. There's no other reason. We need to spend time with the one who made the roses. Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, says, planet Earth is a test. That's all it is. All it is is a test. And how you pass the test will determine where you spend the rest of your life. He talks about that in the book. I mean, folks, listen to this. Heaven is all about pause. Earth is all about push. Heaven is all about worship. Earth is all about work. That's what the culture says. And we're in this place called planet Earth, and we're only here for a short time. My goodness, just find the older people and ask them. It's a quick trip. And yet, why do we put so much emphasis on something we're going to lose? Why do we subscribe to the culture and chase, 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 and there's nothing fulfilling in it, because that's what the Bible says, why don't we take the prophet's word of what God said, slow down, 
I mean, when you get to heaven, you think you're going to do less or more. Think about it. We're to prepare for eternity. That's what the Sabbath was about. It wasn't an option or a lesser one when you got something better to do. It's God's day. It wasn't for you. He gave you six others, and we can't even get those right. So God knew what we would be like, and he said, then come into my house. Come into me, all ye that are heavy, laden, burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You know what he's saying? Take my ways upon you. My burden's light. The world is heavy. My way is easy. See, I believe this. Christianity, being a Christian's easy. Being a non-Christian's hard. People go, man, people come up to me and go, oh, being a Christian's so hard. Well, it's only hard because you're trying to live it out like the world. Jesus said, tell the truth. How hard is that? Okay, tell the truth. You know what I mean? Seek me. I'll take all the things. I'll take care of them all. I mean, that's what the Bible says. Jesus said, look at creation. Look at the birds of the air. I feed them. I'm the one that created them. Why do you keep worrying about what you have or don't have? Look at the flowers of the field, the roses. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful. I clothe them. And then he adds these words. Aren't you more valuable than they? Spend time with me. I won't fail you. I won't abandon you. I know exactly what you need. By the way, if you think you're busy and don't have enough time, I will guarantee you, you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. Because when God created time, he gave you all the time you need to get done what he purposed for you to do. And you'll never know what that is if you don't spend time with the one who gave you that time. It's just an amazing thing. We need to learn to stop and smell the roses and spend time with the one who made the roses. By the way, if we're going to hurry at anything, let's hurry up and slow down. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you this, and this might hurt. If you're not spending time with God over time, you're going to start thinking you're God. It'll happen every time. That's what a hurried life does. The devil's so good, but God's so much better. Amen. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 9. If anyone would what? Come on. Come on. What's it say? If anyone would what? He must what? Deny himself. There it is, salvation. If you want to come after me and be my disciple... He said, then you've got to deny yourself, your ideas, your wants, your ways, your will. It's not about you. And then he says what? Pick up a cross daily and then follow me. You want to be my disciple? Then you've got to deny yourself. You've got to get rid of your ideas. You've got to quit thinking you know best. You deny that and you pick up a cross. You know why he said pick up a cross? Because crosses are heavy and you can't run very fast carrying one. <laughs> I believe with all my heart. I wish maybe God's people were not ashamed of the gospel, and every day when you went to work, you actually picked up a giant cross. I'll guarantee you, you'll slow down. It's exactly what God wants. You pick up a cross, they're heavy, can't run fast, and then follow me. 
follow me. Can I show you some of the crosses I get to pick up? Because I've shared with you, one of my great joys in life is my, my prayer walk with God. It's one of the reasons we got rid of cable. It's the reason years ago we took it out of our bedroom. That late night stuff ain't helping me. It keeps me up, and then I'm tired the next day, and, and then God gets thwarted. So we took, took that all out. So in the morning, I can get to bed at a good time, and in the morning, I can get up. And it's a little harder this time of year. Obviously, it's cold, and I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm sort of turning into a wuss. But I, I just admit it. But I love the cell phone and the camera on it. I used to have a 35 millimeter, but it's a little hard to get in your pocket. And so it's beautiful to pull out my phone and I get to pick up some crosses that God gives me every morning, sunrises and in the evening, sunsets. I have a phone full of them. I take them all the time. And I'm in awe. Like, let me show you. This is just outside my house one morning. I wept. I just stood there and watched. Here's another one outside my house. I've, I know artists that can't even remotely come close to this, and he does it every day differently. It's never the same. Here's another one. I just love the, the beauty of it. And I look at those so often, and, and here's the last one. My wife and I, we took this in Sedona, Arizona. I was with some other pastors, and we were out just enjoying the hills, and the sun was going down, and I just started snapping pictures. And you know what God says to me? Every time, I value you more than that. Aren't you glad you picked up your cross today? And just silencing myself and stilling it. See, see my time with God isn't part of my day. It's the whole day. Because he's the one that made the day. He's not happy. Oh, thanks for five minutes, Keith. Nothing else matters. And so I have this little saying that I now have written in my life. If I want to see the sun rise in my life, remember we're children of God, this sun has to set in his life. If I want the sun to rise in my life, this sun has to set in his life. Mother Teresa said, we need to find God, and she's right. And it can't be found in noise and restlessness. God is the friend of silence. Just see how nature, trees, flowers, grass grow in silence. See the stars, the moon, and the sun, how they move in silence. We need to silence ourselves for God to touch our souls. Be still and know that I am God. Be still, Keith, and know that I am your God. Be still and let me be an amazing God. We need to stop and smell the roses, and we do that by spending time with the one who made them. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the team to the stage, and here's the second one. But when you silence yourself and spend time with the one who made the roses, buy some roses and then give them away. Don't just savor it for yourself, because God's going to do something amazing. That's why he said, love me with all your heart, soul, and mind. And when you do, you're going to start loving yourself in such a way. You're going to go out and be my love. And people are going to experience amazing things. That's what Jesus said. Love one another as I've loved you. Now watch this. But how do we know what God's love is if we don't spend time with that love? 
So here's my question. Do you want God to love you the way you love others? Do you want God to give you his time the way you give time to others? Do you want God to treat you the way you treat others? Always in a hurry? Buy some roses. Give them away. See, the best time to buy flowers is before the funeral, not for the funeral. Amen. You do your giving while you're living, then you know where it's going. Amen to that? B.B. Hall said, every day is a little life, and our whole life is but a day repeated. Therefore, live every day as if it would be your last. Those that dare lose a day are dangerously prodigal. Those that dare misspend a day are desperate. And that's what we are. We've gotten desperate. Do you know why I've gotten desperate? Because we're not drinking from the living water. And there's nothing in the world that can quench your thirst. Jesus said, but if you drink of it, you will never thirst again. It's an amazing thing. And then rivers of love and rivers of life flow out of your life. Valentine's Day is coming up. And I share with you all the time, I never wait for holidays to express anything. I don't wait for birthdays to wish them to my children. I don't wait for Christmas to give gifts. I just don't do it because I may never get there. I'm not going to buy presents for next Christmas and wait until then. I think I'll buy some today and give them away today because I may never be another Christmas. This may be the last time I ever preach in front of you. Next week, the news might have been that our pastor was taken in a car accident. I don't know. I'm not going to bank on it. Because I'm not going to bank on it, I'm not waiting for Valentine's Day to tell you that you guys are the biggest treasure in my heart. And so my wife and I bought roses for every one of you, and the usher is going to come and pass you out roses because we want to tell you, you're the love of our lives. Say, I don't want to wait. Say, I want you to take an opportunity when you get that rose. I want you to look at it. I want you to smell it. I want you to savor it the way God made it. It's such a beautiful thing. They'll pass them out. It's yours. But when you're done spending time with the one who made it, maybe there's an opportunity that now you can take that and tell someone else, I love you. I absolutely love you. See, I think it's time for us to slow down and smell the roses. Would you agree? We need to spend time with the one who made them. Spend time. Open up his love letter. The greatest Hallmark card you'll ever own, you'll ever receive. I love you. I love you. I love you. That's what my Bible says. But then when you take time to be with the one who made the roses, it's crazy how it changes you. And all of a sudden, you just want to give it away. See, I, I don't say this to try to coach anything. I want you to listen to this. See, that's what tithing is to me. It's not a principle that I obey, and I just do. I've been given so much, I can't give enough back to God. I spend so much time with them, and I just feel so blessed. I feel so honored. I feel so privileged. 
by what I have been able to do and been a part of and what God's used in my life, I feel so privileged and honored. I'm just a goofy little kid that grew up in O'Neill, Nebraska, mid his class. But it's a crazy amazing when you spend time with God, what he begins to do and the doors he begins to open. It's just unbelievable. And God is up to something. I just believe it. I don't know what that means. I have no idea what it looks like. But all that stuff happens because you just spend time with God and he begins to use you in ways that you can't even fathom. I'm not settling for status quo what the world says. I'm going to embrace and chase what God says. Let me close with this. According to Greek legend, there was a critic who noticed the great storyteller Aesop. He was playing childish games with some children in the neighborhood. He was angered and spoke out loud and said, why are you wasting so much time and playful activity, Aesop? You should be busying your life about things that are important. Aesop responded by picking up a bow, you know, one that you would shoot arrows with. He loosened its strings and he placed it at the feet of his critic. Then he said, answer the riddle if you can. Tell me what the unstrung bow implies. The man looked at it, confused, had no idea. Finally, Aesop spoke again. If you keep a bow always bent, it will eventually break. But if you let it go slack, it will be more fit for use when you need it. One of my loves is playing the guitar. I learned it when I was in high school. I fell in love with my youth pastor who played it and I wanted to learn and he began to show me some things and I still have my first guitar. This isn't it. I bought a Martin when I could and I borrowed my brother's for some time and then I bought my own and I still have it today. It's priceless to me. I remember making payments on it. It wasn't of high value, but it's very valuable to me. But then I bought this one. I could afford it and I'll tell you what I paid for it. It cost me $3,500. I love this guitar. But there's something that I've learned about a lot of people who play the guitar, who think they do. They don't know much about the value of an instrument. See, there's something on a guitar, it's very important, it's called the strings. In the position I'm in, it doesn't happen often, but I'll have some people who want to give me something. And you know what's crazy? Most of the time they want to give me a guitar. Maybe their grandfather owned it, played it. A family member, a friend, they were cleaning it out and they would give it to me and I'll open up a case and I'll look at it and I'll look it over and I'll give it back to them and say, I appreciate it, but you just need to take it. And they go, why? And I said, because the only thing I can do is throw it away. They go, why would you say that? That one there was handmade. And I say, yep, it might have been handmade, but no one understood how to take care of a guitar. See, the strings on a guitar, on this one here, I change them every three to six months, depending on how much I play. Regardless, if I don't play it at all, they get changed. Because strings stretch over time. But when left alone in a case, they then constrict and get brittle and they start bowing the neck of a guitar. And when the neck is bowed, it won't stay in tune and it's rendered useless. 
no matter how much it cost. What I fear is there's a lot of God's people. They, under, they don't understand why they keep getting out of tune. They don't understand why they get brittle. and It's because they walk around like this all the time. See, if you want to own a guitar, when you put it in its case and don't use it, you should undo the strings as much as you can and just let it set. Then when you use it again, you can tighten it back up, tune it, and play it. It'll stay in perfect tune. It's crazy, but you're going to have to change the strings every three to six months or just throw it away. Church, God has made us much more valuable than a guitar. And you're never going to know that value until you start smelling the roses, spending time with the one who made them. And you'll be amazed how it'll start to rise up in your life. And you start buying those roses and give them away. That's why I preach. That's why I do what I do. I love this book. And I love you so much that I just want to keep giving it to you. There's no greater roses than this. And the more you spend time, you want to spend more time and more time. And the things of the world will pass, but the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind until we're home, not at work, but in worship with him forever. Amen, church. Pastor Reed. Just take a moment, would you? And just smell your rose. How many of you are glad that God took time to create the roses? Can you imagine God in all the time of his creation saying, man, I got so much on my plate today. I got so many things I had to create. I don't have time to create the rose. Don't have time. Because I'm so busy. Could have said it. But he didn't. He took time to create the rose. If that's the case, then we need to take time to smell them and also take time to give them away. Father, forgive me. Forgive us. When we have put so much on our agenda, so many things on a to-do list that drive us each day, things that Maybe we're driven by our need to be approved, our need to be affirmed, our need to validate or maybe give us purpose. Forgive us when that steals from what you have and just a relationship with you. That's all you want. So God, forgive me for that. God, help me today to unbusy myself and this week to start with you and let you lead each day. And God, just to smell the things that are around that are just gifts you give all the time. But then God, how we can give those to others. God, thank you for all you do. And thank you for this incredible reminder. We love you. We adore you. And because of that. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.